Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 25, recorded on July 10th, 2022. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice. So please, as always, do your own homework. Well, we'll start this week with the market update. Stocks closed mostly lower Friday following a strong June jobs report while still posting gains in the first full trading week of July. The U.S. economy added a stronger than expected 372,000 jobs in June, and the unemployment rate held steady at a healthy 3.6%. Giving the Fed no reason to deviate from its plan for aggressive rate hikes, investors may have backed off a bit from overriding recession fears as the strong jobs report and a recent sharp decline in prices for oil and other commodities allowed for a somewhat higher possibility that the U.S. economy could achieve a soft landing. The three major market indices finished higher for the week, with the Nasdaq composite jumping 4.6%, the S&P 500 gaining 1.9%, and the Dow Jones edging 0.8% higher. Next week starts second quarter earnings reports, and investors will examine the effects of commodity price and shipping cost pressures on companies' profit margins. So, not a bad week in the markets. Um, And then next week, I think I'll be doing my monthly portfolio review. So, you want to check in for that. Moving on to Bitcoin news, Uh, we have this from bitcoin.com crypto payments are acceptable in foreign trade russia's financial watchdog says Uh, the federal financial monitoring service of the russian federation also known as rospin monitoring fully accepts that crypto cryptocurrencies can be employed for settlements with foreign partners yuri chikchanchkin director of the regulatory body has stated speaking in the federation council The upper house of Russian parliament, he emphasized that payments with digital assets inside Russia are prohibited by law. The country's current legislation bans money surrogates. However, under certain conditions, such payments may well be used in international trade. He said the high ranking official believes this can help businesses oriented towards exporting Russian products. Quoted by the Bits Media crypto news outlet, he also noted, if the supply chain is controlled, then this is quite acceptable. Uh, He further emphasized that in order to take advantage of cryptocurrency payments, Russian companies need to know to whom exactly they're exchanging the digital currencies. The regulator revealed that his department has developed and already launched a special information system for tracking crypto transactions that allows financial authorities to identify both the sender and the recipient of funds and has been used already in some investigations. The debate over the future of cryptocurrencies in Russia is still ongoing. A new bill on digital currency is expected to introduce more comprehensive rules for crypto transactions after the law on digital financial assets regulated only some aspects of the crypto market. The idea to use cryptocurrencies in international settlements has been gaining support amid mounting Western sanctions over Russia's military intervention in Ukraine. At the same time, most government institutions in Moscow agree that the ruble should remain the only legal tender in the country.
while the Bank of Russia, a strong opponent of the free circulation of cryptocurrencies, recently signaled it could back the legalization of crypto payments that don't penetrate Russia's financial system. The lower house of Russian parliament recently adopted a law banning domestic payments with digital financial assets. So very interesting over in Russia, you can't, in, individuals can't use cryptocurrencies for payments, but they're open to using it for trade as a way to circumvent sanctions, presumably. <clears throat> so I think probably what we're going to be seeing is a lot more talk over the remainder of the year on on regulation, uh, especially with the, the meltdown in, in the different uh, crypto hedge funds and, and lending arrangements that I've been talking about the last few weeks. Um, regulation will be top of mind and we'll see here. Uh, in the next article, Fed's Brainerd calls for sound regulation of crypto financial system to be established now. Uh, Lyle Brainerd, the vice chair of the board of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, talked about crypto regulation and decentralized finance Friday at a Bank of England conference in London. She began by referencing recent volatility in the crypto market, stating that it has exposed serious vulnerabilities in the crypto financial system. She added that both traditional and crypto financial systems are susceptible to leverage, settlement, opacity, maturity, and liquidity transformation risks, noting that innovation has the potential to make financial services faster, cheaper, and more inclusive, and to do so in ways that are native to the digital ecosystem. Uh, she then was quoted as saying, it is important that the foundations for sound regulation of the crypto financial system be established now before the crypto ecosystem becomes so large or interconnected that it might pose risks to the stability of the broader financial system. Emphasizing the need for national and international cooperation, the Federal Reserve Vice Chair opined the recent turbulence and losses among retail investors in crypto highlight the urgent need to ensure compliance with existing regulations and to fill any gaps where regulations or enforcement may need to be tailored, for instance, for decentralized protocols and platforms. Uh, she went on to be quoted as saying, future financial resilience will be greatly enhanced if we ensure the regulatory per perimeter encompasses the crypto financial system and reflects the principle of same risk, same disclosure, same regulatory outcome. The Fed chair also added that a U.S. central bank digital currency could help financial stability by providing the neutral trusted settlement layer in the future crypto financial system. On Thursday, the US Treasury Department delivered a framework for international engagement on crypto assets to President Joe Biden as directed in the executive order he issued back in March. And uh, I will talk about that also shortly. Um, but, you know, again, beating the drum pretty loudly on regulation, uh, especially in the wake of, of all the meltdowns that were occurring in the various crypto Ponzi schemes. And so, uh, and, and of course, you know, it's been talked about uh, before that probably most, if not all of the cryptocurrencies other than Bitcoin and possibly Ethereum are basically unregistered securities. Um, they're basically like, buying shares and companies. And so they don't 
have any of the regulation or any of the disclosures um, that investors would normally get, you know, if they bought stocks. So even though the stock market can get, you know, obliterated and you can lose a lot of money in the stock market, uh, at least there's information and, and um, some controls over the exchanges and, and, uh, and things like that, that, uh, do provide some investor protections, whereas a lot of the DeFi crypto stuff is kind of the wild west. So uh, it's coming. Regulation is definitely coming, and it's probably going to be here sooner rather than later. Um, moving on to this other article the u.s treasury delivers crypto framework to biden as directed an executive order so the united states department of treasury published a fact sheet titled framework for international engagement in digital assets thursday it states that the secretary of the treasury has delivered to president joe biden a framework for interagency engagement with foreign counterparts and in international forums as directed in the president's executive order uh, the framework calls for the U.S. and its foreign allies to collaborate to create international standards for regulating crypto assets. Uh, they're quoted here as saying, uneven regulation, supervision, and compliance across jurisdictions creates opportunities for arbitrage and raises risks to financial stability and the protection of consumers, investors, businesses, and markets. Inadequate anti-money laundering and combating the financing of terrorism. Uh, AML, CFT for short, regulation, supervision, and enforcement by other countries challenges the ability of the United States to investigate illicit digital asset transaction flows that frequently jump overseas, as is often the case in ransomware payments and other cybercrime-related money laundering, the department added. Treasury further explained that the U.S. must work with international partners and be a leader in the discussions on central bank digital currencies and digital payment architectures. Such international work should continue to address the full spectrum of issues and challenges raised by digital assets, including financial stability, consumer and investor protection, and business risks, and money laundering, terrorist financing, proliferation financing, sanctions, evasion, and other illicit activities, the Treasury noted. The fact sheet outlines key international engagements for the U.S., including with the G7 and G20 countries, the Financial Stability Board, the Financial Action Task Force, the Egmont Group of Financial Intelligence Units, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and other multilateral development banks. What's outlined in the framework is intended to ensure that with respect to the development of digital assets, America's core democratic values are respected. Consumers, investors, and businesses are protected. Appropriate global financial system connectivity and platform and architecture interoperability are preserved. And the safety and soundness of the global financial system and the international monetary system are maintained. Uh, so it sounds pretty much like they want to regulate uh, cryptocurrencies, you know, um, very similar to how dollar flows are regulated in terms of being able to identify who the recipient is, who the payer is, and be able to track all that. Um, 
in terms of the international flows and then um, in terms of the domestic situation, a lot of what has been created in the cryptocurrency space in terms of DeFi and all that is, is really just like a parallel, has a, a parallel in the current financial system. Um, so uh, although the technology is new, the businesses, there's really nothing new about lending money, borrowing money, uh, earning a yield, um, buying financial interests and new entities and things of that nature. So um, they will have to categorize uh, all the different activities into uh, different buckets, um, commodities, uh, shares of stock, uh, lending arrangements, borrowing arrangements. But it seems like that's going to happen. And then when that happens, you know, they'll be able to figure out which uh, government agency should oversee it. And then, um, you know, if the Congress has to act uh, to write new laws, which I think there are some that have that have been proposed uh, recently, then um, those will come to pass and, and then the regulation will kick in and um, hopefully it will be an improvement uh, from the standpoint of the individual investor. They'll at least have more information when they're investing in some of these uh, altcoins. Um, and I don't really think the regulation is going to have that big of an impact on Bitcoin because um, at the end of the day, if you want to buy or sell Bitcoin, you have to move it through a financial channel uh it's either a bank or an exchange or or something like that so uh you know the government will know and uh if you try to hide it they'll come after you uh, they will want their taxes on any gains that uh, that you are make from buying or selling crypto so including bitcoin so so <clears throat> I don't really see um, this having much of an impact on Bitcoin ecosystem. It could have an impact, though, on on the wild west of cryptos. You know, maybe the the larger and more established cryptocurrencies that are used in DeFi will will survive this, um, and they'll have the the size and the strength to be able to deal with the regulation, which typically will increase costs and um, make things a little more difficult, maybe a little less consumer friendly in some respects, disclosures and waiting periods and <clears throat> that sort of thing. Kind of like when you're dealing with a bank or, or a brokerage account and you have to explain where the money's coming from and, um, you know things of that nature so uh that seems like that's what's where things are headed but uh, there's certainly a lot of chatter about regulation these days and i think we're going to see um probably by the even by the end of the year um uh, some definite uh steps taken i don't know if the legislation will get through until after the 
midterm elections in the U.S., but um, it seems like uh, the regulatory agencies will be lining up with their marching orders here uh, in the not-too-distant future. Finally, we have, uh, and by the way, all these uh, articles are from Bitcoin.com, and they're all updated pretty recently. Uh, so finally, we have Fidelity Analyst. Bitcoin is cheap, and Ethereum could be near bottom. Uh, Urian Timmer, Director of Global Macro in Fidelity Investments Global Asset Allocation Division, shared his Bitcoin and Ether price analysis in a series of tweets on Friday. Timmer specializes in global macro strategy and active asset allocation. He joined Fidelity 27 years ago as a technical research analyst. He explained why Bitcoin is cheap. I use the price per millions of non-zero addresses as an estimate for Bitcoin's valuation, and the chart below shows that valuation is all the way back to 2013 levels, even though the price is only back to 2020 levels. And, and he's quoted as saying, in other words, Bitcoin is cheap. At its recent low of 17,600, Bitcoin is now below even my more conservative S-curve model, which is based on the internet adoption curve, the Fidelity director added. I think I talked about that in a prior podcast too, that he had uh, kind of put a revised um, adoption curve model with a revised long-term price target out uh, maybe a month or two ago. Timmer noted that it's clear from looking at Bitcoin's network growth that the adoption curve is tracking the more asymptotic internet adoption curve rather than the more exponential mobile phone curve. He continued, per Metcalf's law, slower network growth suggests a more modest price appreciation. However, based on a simple power regression line, Bitcoin's network appears to be intact. The director opined that continued growth in Bitcoin's network combined with lower prices means that Bitcoin's valuation is coming down. Uh, then he is quoted as saying, if Bitcoin is cheap, then perhaps Ethereum is cheaper. If ETH, ETH is where BTC was four years ago, then the analog below suggests that Ethereum could be close to a bottom. And at the time of this writing, Bitcoin is trading at 21584 up 11% over the past seven days, but down 29% over the past 30 days. Ether is trading at 1217 up 14% over the last seven days, but down 32% over the past 30. Uh, so it certainly seems that at the current price level, Bitcoin's downside seems to be relatively small compared to its upside potential. So um, I think it's at a pretty good entry point. Uh, currently, and you know, it may go down inside, but I think if you're dollar cost averaging, it's probably not really gonna matter whether you buy it 20 or 10 or 15, but it seems like the value has been uh, hanging in there right around 20 lately. Okay, so that wraps up the Bitcoin news for the week. Moving on uh, to this week's topic, real greater than paper during inflation. 
we are dragging out the inflationary environment investing playbook. So most investors today are too young to remember what it was like investing during the late 1970s and the early 1980s. This is the last time the U.S. experienced a significant amount of inflation. Um, I pulled up a macro trends chart, um, and I'll put a link to my blog post in the show notes uh, so you can look at the charts. Um, uh, but it basically showed the historical inflation rates uh, year by year. And the prior peak inflation periods uh, was 1979, peaked at 13.29%. 1946 peaked at 18.13% and 1918 uh, at 20.44%. The only significant deflationary time period was the post-1929 stock market crash, Great Depression, which lasted for uh, three years. The Federal Reserve has been very focused on avoiding a repeat of the deflationary depression, and so their default approach continues to be to keep interest rates low and expand credit to ensure growth and only tightening uh, or raising interest rates <clears throat> for as long as necessary to tame inflation, or, as we like to say, until something breaks. Um, these tightening cycles, though, uh, seem to be getting shorter and shorter as time goes on. And uh, it's probably because the amount of debt that's outstanding keeps getting bigger and bigger. Um, so the main thing that's different this time uh, versus the last time we had significant inflation is that the amount of public and private debt outstanding is much higher now than before. And so increases in interest rates, especially from very low recent levels, will cause a bigger drag on the government's ability to spend by eating up more of the budget, paying interest, not to mention on businesses' ability to grow or consumers' ability to finance their lifestyles. Just look at mortgage rates, which have doubled over the past 18 months while real estate prices also rose. And this is causing like a double whammy of, to affordability for home buyers. And now uh, the real estate market feels like it's completely stalled out as buyers are more wary <clears throat> and sellers who uh, have to sell and are out on the market are forced to cut prices just to get offers. So it's, it's really changed quite dramatically. Um, not a crash, but certainly uh, not a... Uh, not a seller's market anymore, at least that's my observation from where I live. Uh, in a highly leveraged system, uh, such as the one we have with a lot of debt, both public and private, even small increases in interest rates have an outsized effect on the ability for governments, companies, and consumers to spend. And that's a big reason why many are warning of an impending recession due to the current Fed interest rate hiking policy. Now, lagging indicators like jobs still look pretty strong. Um, and uh, I think one of the articles mentioned the recent uh, jobs report uh, showed uh, 372,000 jobs in June added and unemployment rate steady at 3.6%. 
And if you look at a chart, it's getting down pretty close to where it was right before the pandemic, the unemployment rate is. At the same time, you've got leading indicators uh, that are showing pretty significant slowing in the economy. A um, couple charts that I put in, one is the uh, conference board um, uh, index of leading indicators uh, showing quite a precipitous year-over-year uh, -year change, decrease um, in uh, the leading indicators as well as real GDP. And consumer sentiment, which, you know, since the economy is really driven by the consumer, uh, it's uh, just straight down, uh, both the monthly data as well as the three-month average. So not good signs. So as always, it's not if we get a recession, because we do have the business cycle. Um, it's really when and how bad will it be. And everyone can probably rest assured that the Fed won't let it get too bad. Certainly no repeat of the 1930s before they start the easy money flowing again. Um, and at that point, you know, it will be pretty much game on for risk assets as interest rates start to come down again. Um, but it will be painful between now and then. And, um, stock market could continue to decline um, as long as they're raising rates. But meanwhile, inflation looks like it will stick around for a while um, because, you know, they, they would really have to raise rates much, much more aggressively in order to really tame inflation. And uh, most people are betting, most investors are betting that the Fed's going to stop well short of that. Um, and so, uh, you know, what then makes sense to invest in, in this type of environment where you have sluggish growth, maybe a recession, uh, but certainly not, not a booming economy, um, and elevated levels of inflation, let's just call it. <clears throat> and basically real things are better than paper. And so what do I mean by that? Um, so these are the things that, that tend to, to work better during inflationary times, things like commodities. Um, that can include industrial commodities, agricultural commodities, precious metals, gold, silver, platinum, real estate. Um, and I'm going to put Bitcoin in there. I mean, it, it is the first time that Bitcoin is going through an inflationary cycle. But um, I'm fairly sure it'll hold up well just due to absolute scarcity, ongoing adoption, and, and all the other features uh, of Bitcoin that are similar to gold, but better. So things to avoid in this environment would include, I think, all bonds, um, stocks of companies that are losing money, have unsustainable dividends, or who lack pricing power with their customers. So stocks of commodity producers, real estate companies, or miners would be okay to own in this environment. And some might actually be at more attractive prices now due to the recent uh, recession scare, you know, sell-off. Because again, stocks just sell off indiscriminately in response to, uh, you know, the uh, 
the panic and, and the fear of a recession coming or, or whatever. Uh, real estate stocks, for example, sold off quite a bit. VNQ is one, um, is an ETF that I use as a kind of a gauge of that. Uh, it's a U.S. real estate um, ETF. It's down about 21% from its peak. Um, gold miners have just gotten absolutely clobbered. GDX, which is uh, all the large gold mining companies, uh, ETF is down almost 51% from its recent highs. Um, then there's like major mining stocks like uh, Rio Tinto, uh, which is down about 27% in the last three months. And it's currently sporting a 13.4% dividend yield. Or you have Freeport MacMoran, which is down almost 43% in the last three months. They're a copper and gold producer. And it's yielding, you know, like 1.61%. So as far as oil is concerned, I think you just look at Warren Buffett buying more shares of Occidental Petroleum. And that's a pretty bullish uh, I mean, he's obviously bullish on the company, but I think it's also bullish uh, longer term signal that oil prices will remain somewhat elevated in the coming months and maybe even years um, with or without a recession just because of all the supply disruptions um, uh, as well as, you know, global demand, um, which tends to continue to grow <clears throat> year after year. Uh, you know, and if you want to be more diversified, there's, there's an oil producer ETF, uh, uh, energy select spider, uh, XLE that yields about 4% currently. As far as Bitcoin's concerned, it's down almost 70% from its all time high in November, 2021, which seems like a buy at these levels. I'm certainly not a seller. Um, and like I wrote last week, Bitcoin should really have a place in everyone's portfolio at some amount because Bitcoin is absolutely scarce at the 21 million. Uh, the, it's peer to peer and can be transferred without a bank or other intermediary. It can be self custody outside the banking system and has no counterparty risk if held without leverage. And it's a hedge against uh, currency debasement and collapse. So it's, uh, I think, uh, some, some refer to it as a, uh, as a, uh, um, like insurance, it's like insurance against, um, uh, sovereign debt default. <laughs> so hopefully we don't have that, but, uh, it's certainly always good to have insurance. Some uh, market bears say that stocks will fall another 50% from here. If you're not sure about that, but you do have some cash to invest, then you know you can always be dollar cost averaging into some of the hard asset uh, stocks or other investments um, on the way down. But certainly China, trying to time the market is difficult to do. Um, as far as companies go, you, you just need to really look at the valuation um of the of these companies and, and if these are companies that make things that people need and they're trading at low levels whether you look at price earnings or price to cash flow or any other of these metrics um, relative to their history um and relative to other 
stocks, um, you know, maybe, maybe accumulate some of those. Uh, I always like George Gammon, listening to him. He talks about buy when things are cheap on fear and sell when they're expensive on hysteria. And I think right now there is a lot of fear out there. So if we're not at the bottom, the bottom is certainly coming. And the uh, problem is I think people end up um, blowing all their money <laughs> buying too high and then they don't have any money when when the market uh, really hits bottom and that's uh unfortunately that's you know trying to time the market and that just never works so it's uh, better to have a portfolio strategy and keep some dry powder on the side um to take advantage of downturns like we're in and um you know maybe things do get worse before they get better but uh worse is relative because uh, if you can buy a a high quality company that's yielding double digit dividend yield. Um, and it's been around for a long time and it's going to continue to be around. Then, you know, you'd certainly want to be buying that right now. You wouldn't want to be selling at a loss. So thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like, and leave a comment. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Nick Reichert. And I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.